0: Well, good morning, Fairhaven. Great to see you today. Thank you for being here. If you are a guest in all of our campuses, you've been greeted. I want to greet you as well. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors uh, here on staff. It's really, really great to have you here. Thank you for being here. I want to welcome Springboro and Northmont and Beaver Creek and Classics and all of you that are here in Centerville. Great to have you here. Those of you that are online in the Dayton area and around the country, we're so glad that you join us. We're in a three-week series. This is week two. Next week, we end it. Um, by the way, next week is Father's Day. Dads, you know that, right? So dads, bring your families. Um, we've got so many donuts prepared for you. So you got to bring your families, Uh, your families will want it even if you don't want it, but we'll just bring them, Uh, we're excited about Father's Day. And in this series, really what we're doing is we're looking at um, God the Father, we're looking at what, what we need to understand about God as our Heavenly Father, because that plays into and it should actually inform our fatherhood, and so that's exactly why we're in this series. As we think about our good, good Father, that's why it's who you are, as we think about who God is, that's what the song. Says. Last week we were in the Old Testament and we looked at the kind of father God is. And if you missed that, you can certainly go back and, and uh, follow along because we learned some great things together about the kind of father that He wants to be in our lives. And today, what we're going to do is be in the New Testament and we're going to look at a story that Jesus tells, perhaps the most familiar story in the New Testament, maybe in the Bible, but it's certainly the most familiar story that Jesus tells as we look at that story today to figure out what is the heart of. God really look like? What does the heart of our heavenly father look like as uh, as we study this today? But I want to show you a picture of my boys first to study because I'm a father and so I'm going to be informed as well as a dad. Here are my four sons. Um, this is my oldest here, Tyler. Uh, they live down in Florida. And uh, this is number two, Brandon. He lives north of town here. And this is number three right there, Peyton. And number four, uh, Brent. And people get these two mixed up a lot. Can you see the resemblance? They get them all mixed up and it's really amazing. And as I was thinking about this message and thinking about this series, about thinking about God as our heavenly father and thinking about what it means to be a father myself, I was reminded that as I raised these four boys, there is a progression as a parent. And maybe if you're a parent or if you're an aunt or uncle, you probably see it. And the progression really can be seen in this right here. That is a, I don't know what you call this, a plug or, you know, a... I don't know what it is, you know. And I remember when my oldest son, um, when he was a baby, we would, you know, we would put this pacifier in his mouth, and when he would pop it out, it would fall on the floor. We're like, oh my goodness, we got to get to the kitchen as fast as possible. We'd get a pot out and put some water in it, and we'd boil it, and we'd let it sit in that water for five minutes, and then we'd take it out with tongs because you didn't want to touch it; uh, it's sterile. And you'd put it on, you know, a paper towel, and you let it dry, air dry, and then you'd pop it back in his mouth. Anybody remember that? And then you get to son number two, and you're like, ah, I don't know, he didn't get much, you know, really sick, and so you just kind of wash it off with a little water and just pop it right back in, you know, and then son number three comes, and you're like, I don't think it really even makes any sense, and so you just kind of wipe it off, you put it on your leg, and you pop it right back in there real quick, and son number four comes, and you don't even care, like, yeah, just pop it off, it doesn't matter, on the floor, in fact, if you have one, if your baby has one, can I just borrow that real quick, we're just going to pop it in his mouth real quick, you know, that's the progression of parenthood, isn't it, when you think about it, Uh, as parents. And so we've been looking at these stories, and we've been looking at uh, the Old Testament and New Testament to figure out what does it mean for us to understand God as our Heavenly Father. I think as we go into Father's Day next week, it's important for us to probably start out with this statement here, and that's this. A person's image of God the Father is often affected by the experience that they have with their own earthly father. You may have had an amazing experience with your own earthly father. And for that, we're grateful and you should celebrate that and let him know, um, you know, this next weekend in a big, big way. It's really, really that important and that significant. You may have had a difficult situation or that affected you. It's hard when you have an earthly father that's really, really difficult because of either abuse or control or um, a sense of withholding affirmation or withholding love or absentee. Uh, fathers and that raises all kinds of really hard emotions and, and, and I know that uh, in my life as well and so it's true though that a person's image of God the Father is in fact affected by that experience and so what I want to do today is look at what Jesus has to say to it because what we find if you have a bad experience is called a father wound, that's what they call it. If you've had a tough experience um, being raised by an earthly father that was not there for you or was abusive in some way or controlling in some way, it's called they call it a father rune. and uh, coming out of a father room, there's four emotions, and maybe you want to take a screenshot of this if you're struggling um, because it does affect your ability to be able to see God, the Heavenly Father, as such a loving, loving father. There's four emotions that come out of a father wound. Let me give them to you so you can kind of think about them. Number one is an emotion that's says, I'm unworthy, where you may live your life and you're thinking to yourself, you don't really have any value, Um, you're not sure anybody's going to notice you because you weren't noticed as a kid perhaps, or it was a tough situation, and so you you have this emotion where I'm I'm just not worthy, and that does affect your ability to look at God as Heavenly Father because you might still think, well, I'm not worthy, I don't think I measure up, I don't think that he really would want to love me uh, as I need to be loved, and the second emotion is I'm stupid. Or you may even heard that. What's wrong with you? Or why couldn't you think through this? Or why didn't you do that? Or you come with a report card and you got a C on it. And you're like, well, C is a good thing. I mean, you didn't fail. But why couldn't you have gotten an A? You know? And so we build in this performance uh, mentality, which plays off in our spiritual life, to be honest with you. And so we got to figure out ways to break that. I want to show you one way today uh, to do that. The third emotion is an emotion that says, I'm incompetent where I don't know that I will ever have what it takes. I'm just going to have to live a mediocre life because uh, I have this incompetent sense about me. And, or the opposite, where you're working really, really hard because you're trying to overcome this sense of incompetence that you've been hearing about uh, perhaps your whole upbringing. And then there's a the fourth one, and the fourth emotion is I'm unlovable. Where you're not even sure that you are lovable, where your personality, the, the gifts that you have, or whatever it might be. So take a screenshot of that because these are the four emotions that they say happens in a person's life when they have a father room. But I got great news for you today. because So this is your experience, um, already we're starting out and it might be kind of tough for you, but I want to tell you right away, I've got great news for you. The story that we're going to look at in the New Testament is one of the ways that you and I can counteract our father wounds. Let me say it this way. Understanding the heart of God, our Father, is one of the ways to address a father wound. Because if you really begin to understand how God the Father sees you and how he loves you and desires to bring you to places where you can have an intimate relationship. I mean, when you think of a divine person like God, It's easy sometimes to think of him as far away, um, separate from our lives, Uh, probably knows about you but not sure he cares about you. Um, But when you think of the word father, it's more intimate. It's more real. It gives you the opportunity to be in a relationship where he's caring for you all the time. What a beautiful name that is when we get to the place of uh, referring to him as our heavenly father, uh, which again should inform us in our fatherhood next, next week, guys, as we think this through. So I'm gonna tell you a story that Jesus tells so grab your Bibles if you will. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 15. Luke is one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. So it's the third book uh, in the New Testament. And Jesus tells three stories. Uh, The last story begins in verse 11, and it's called, see if you know it, the prodigal son. Anybody ever hear about the prodigal son? Um, I would almost guarantee you that you're going to hear things today that you probably haven't heard before, because as I've been studying it, it was all of a sudden, it dawned on me, this is a beautiful passage, a beautiful text on helping us to understand the heavenly father and what it really means to be our father, which counteracts maybe some of the father wounds that we have. But before we start in in verse eleven and read the story, because Jesus actually tells the story. I think it's important that we start out in verse 1, Luke chapter 15. Hope your Bibles are open because you're gonna want to read the story as I read it for you, and we'll make some comments here about it. But here's how it starts out. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That's Jesus. Now, right away in chapter 15, we learn that we have the tax collectors and we have the sinners. Uh, Tax collectors were the lowest of the low in first century society. I mean, they were worse than sinners. uh, And there were people that were called sinners, believe it or not. um, But they were lower than that. Tax collectors were, I mean, they were complete sellouts because they were working for Rome and they would grab taxes from you and they would give some to Rome. They would keep a lot for themselves because they could charge whatever they wanted as long as they gave Rome what Rome wanted, they could take the rest for themselves. And so the Romans hated them, the Jews hated them, and it was a really, really tough spot to be in. They made a lot of money, but they were hated, and so tax collectors and sinners were there. And if you just kind of put a category over those, um, these would be the reckless or rebellious people. Now, that's going to make sense as we start reading the story that Jesus tells in verse 11. So, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees, And the scribes grumbled. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes um, are another category of people, and I would call them the religious group of people. You have your reckless group, and you have your religious group. And you'll see in the story that Jesus uses these two examples in his story because of the fact that they came. They were grumbled, and they said this, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus was actually going to homes of tax collectors and to people who were called sinners and he was spending time with them which you just did not do in the first century because you didn't want anybody to have a bad opinion of you and because you shouldn't associate with them but Jesus did. And it's part of the way that you and I can understand the heart of a Father, the heart of God, the Father, in our lives. And so this is the backdrop. You've got the rebellious or reckless people, you've got the religious people, and they're both misinformed and they're misguided in their life. Therefore, Jesus tells a story. You ready for me to read it? This whole message is just the story, and so you've got to have the story open because I'm going to read it and make comment as we go along here uh, talking about the heart of God. So here it is, verse 11. And so he said, this is Jesus telling a story, he said, there was a man who had two sons. There was a man who had two sons. Now right away, we're introduced to the fact that there's two sons. You probably know that, but let me categorize the two sons because as we read along, you'll see what I mean. There are two sons in this story. You've got the reckless son and you've got the religious son. And Jesus is trying to tell the, these Pharisees and scribes that were there, he wants them to understand the heart of God the Father. And so that's why I believe he tells a story. Because this story talks about the reckless and the religious those were the people that were standing right there. Those are the people that actually heard the story. And so if you were to categorize yourself, where would you categorize yourself? Before you raise your hand, the reckless one would be uh, people who have in their past reckless behavior or maybe a rebellious spirit in their life. Uh, no judgment from anybody here. We just want you to be honest today. And the other one is the religious son where you know you have done all the right things, hoping in some way that you would get God's attention because you've done all the right things and, and therefore you're better than. And everybody else, because you know you've you've done all the right things in life, and you kind of know where you're at on this. Okay, so let's try it in all of our campuses. I'm going to ask you to be as honest as you can. If you're a guest, don't worry, we're not looking at anybody here. Um, But we just let's see what kind of audience we have. And so, how many would say, "Yeah, in my past." I would kind of be identified as the reckless son. Can I just see your hand? Just raise them up high. Proudly raise them up around. I'm looking around. Look around the whole room. It's amazing, right? That's amazing right there, the reckless. Okay, thank you for your honesty. Um, How about religious? Those of you that would categorize yourself as a religious group. Can I see your hands? Just raise them up high. Not as many. Wow, this is the reckless group here. That's amazing. (laughs) Centerville, anyway. (laughs) Now, some of you didn't vote because I saw your hands. You didn't vote. So if you're not sure you're the religious one. Because <laughs> if you're reckless, you know it. Am I right, church? <laughs> you know it. Your hand's like, yeah, that's me right there. I'm reckless. It's unbelievable what's happened in my life. So if you're not sure, you're part of, probably part of the religious group, meaning you're hoping that all the good things you do somehow gets God's attention, and that is really a false thinking, and we'll see that today as we read the story because Jesus wants to lay this out. Okay, let's look on verse 11 and verse 12. Verse 12, and so the younger of them, that's the reckless one, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all that he had. And he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. See it there? Reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So... He went and hired himself out to the fields to feed pigs and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything." So Jesus tells a story, and right off the bat, he says, the reckless son came to the dad and said, I want my inheritance, I want it early. And so the father said, okay, father loves him so much and gave him half of his, you know, half of his um, estate and said, here, it's yours. And so then a couple days later, we don't know how long, he took off and went to a foreign country and just started spending crazy. Just reckless as all get up. Ran out of money and then thought, man, I, gotta, I need an income. And so he decided he was gonna start to work. Now, it's really interesting that as Jesus is telling the story, that this reckless son begins to feed pigs. Because in the first century, and even actually today, Jews go nowhere near pigs. I mean, it's a vile animal in their life. I mean, the pigs represent hypocrisy. They would call the Romans pigs. So as Jesus is telling the story, that's not a detail that's there by accident. Jesus is saying, this is how far you can get that you in your reckless life can get to the place where you can drift from the father and you can end up doing things that you don't even want to do that you hated before. And then it says in there that he didn't have anything at all. There was no food. He wanted to eat even the food of the pigs, but they wouldn't even give him that. And so what we're gonna learn here is we start reading the story about the reckless son, and then we'll get to the religious son. But there's several things about the reckless son that I think are really helpful, at least for me and perhaps for you in understanding The heart of God. This is how much God the Father loves you and I and wants to lead us into doing one thing. And I'll tell you what that one thing is at the end. One thing. But as we begin to read the story and he takes off and he spends all of his money and he's there and doesn't have any food, we learn one principle about the reckless son and that's this. That you can move away from the Father, you can do everything you want, and you know what you'll find? You'll find that you have nothing. And so the father didn't, you know, and you'll see in a second, the father doesn't say to him, well, shame on you. You shouldn't have spent it. That's not what happened. But we learn a pretty important lesson here that in our lives, we have a heavenly father that understands and that he wants us to understand that as we're in a relationship with him, that if you move away from the father and you do whatever you want, you're going to end up with nothing. There's not much there. And whether that happens intentionally, whether you say, you know what, I'm just done with faith or I'm done with the church or I'm done with people who claim to be people of faith. Because that can happen. That can happen when you have people who hurt you and I've had that in my life and I've had to realize that it wasn't the church, it wasn't God, it wasn't my faith, it was just people. There were people um, that you know hurt. And so we learn right away whether it's intentional or whether you can drift. You realize that there is, there's a possibility in our lives where you spiritually just drift. And you just begin to do your own thing and uh, life isn't that hard, really. You just begin to drift and do your own thing. Kind of like the reckless son. For a while, everything was great. I mean, he had money, he was doing the right things, and then all of a sudden he found himself. But it's an important lesson for us to understand that we have a heavenly father that watches us and is in so much pain knowing that the end product here is gonna be that we're gonna have Nothing. So that's what happened. So this son goes to a faraway land. He has nothing there. Um, and then we pick up the story in verse 17. But when he came to himself, now let me translate that. He came to his senses, right? I mean, he, he realized this isn't working. This is not working. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants or staff have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him. So he begins to rehearse what he's going to say to his dad when he goes back to him. He's going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants, or treat me like you would treat any of your staff who would give me food during the day. And so he's, he's rehearsing what he's actually going to say to his father, which teaches us another really important lesson here about the reckless son, as he gets to the very end of himself and realizes this is not working. So here's a lesson that I think we learn from the reckless son, and that's this, that the lowest point in life can actually be a turning point. That as you find yourself in maybe a very low point in your life, the heavenly father knows that. He cares so much about you that he wants to be right there with open arms, that if you find yourself in a really, really low point, God can use that as a turning point in your life. Now, that doesn't mean you're gonna be okay with what happened or that you're gonna be settled in it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that God, as the heavenly Father, wants to be right there, that if you find yourself in a low point, it can be a turning point. When I've looked at my life, and I have over these last couple of weeks preparing, what I've discovered is that there's not one low point in my life I've had many let me just tell you about three One of them was in the eighth grade. In the eighth grade, I still remember having this real fear of death. I got so fearful and so filled with anxiety for months and months. I still remember the feeling. I remember the things that I did. I was so afraid of of losing control of my life. I became really germophobic, where I didn't want to touch a doorknob. You know, I would carry a napkin with me, and I was afraid that I would get germs and die. And that's really hard uh, to be really clean when you live in Asia, in a third world country. We were living in Indonesia at the time, and I'll never forget as several months went by my mom came in one night and she sat on my bed and I remember her telling me something that stuck she said David do you realize that when you really understand the love of God or the love of a father it chases away all fear now, in the eighth grade, it didn't really make a lot of sense, but I, you know, I wanted to grab a hold of it because I didn't want to be fearful and I didn't want to you know, go through this fear of death in my life. And, and you know what? It worked. And so since the eighth grade, whenever I feel a fear, a fear coming into my life or an anxiety coming into my life, I remember what my, what my mom said, that perfect love, God's love as a heavenly father can chase away fear. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. That's an amazing reality if you think about it. Well, when I was in college, um, the fourth year of college for me, and I, I, I was brilliant in, in I, I mean, I was able to squeeze uh, four years of college into six. Anybody ever do that? <laughs> I was so smart that I squeezed four years into six years. It was really great. And so my fourth year of college, uh, my parents got divorced, and it was a real low point for me. It was a really, really tough uh, low point. And I remember spending time in you know, my own personal time with God, and I remember God teaching me a lesson that you've probably heard me say many times. If you've been around Fairhaven for any length of time, you've probably heard me say it, and it's this. We're all one bad decision away. Yeah. One bad decision. You could destroy your life today if you wanted to. All you have to do is go out and make one really bad decision, and you could probably destroy your life. And as I was in that lowest moment or one of the lowest moments of my life going through my family and what was taking place and the explosion of all of it and the pain and and God was teaching me right there a turning point that, you know, David, in your own life, before you start judging, make sure you understand that you're one bad decision away. That was a turning point for me in my life. 22 years ago, we had come to Fairhaven, we'd come to Dayton, Um, one of our sons got sick, he was totally normal until the age of two, and we didn't know what was going on, we were looking for doctors, we were looking for medication, we were looking for something that would help our son, and my wife and I, we found ourselves on our knees in our living room, and it was... It was painful, it was hard, we didn't know what to do. Uh, We weren't sure where to turn, it was, I don't even know how to describe how painful it was and I I still remember as we were there in the living room together, she didn't hear it, Kathy didn't hear it, my wife, um, but I heard it. I heard God say, if you trust me, I will be your strength. It was a low point in our lives and yet God, because he's a father, a heavenly father, it was a turning point. And I remember that 22 years ago. And we've claimed that over these last number of years. He's doing great. um, And we're grateful to God for that. But the truth of the matter is, there's still pain and there's still difficulty. And so God's strength is there available for us. And so as we read the story, here's this rebellious, reckless son. And he's there and he's practicing what he's going to say to his dad. And so that's exactly what happened. Verse 20. So he rose. He'd had enough. He arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Sound familiar? Yeah, he rehearsed it. He was so embarrassed, he rehearsed it in his life. And so he goes to his father and he, and he wonders if his father is gonna be there. And sure enough, the father is there. In fact, the father comes out and runs at him, grabs him and hugs him and kisses him and says, man, where you been? I love you, I missed you. And it's so awesome. What a great reception it is for this son, this reckless son and his father to be there, even though the son wanted to say some things to his father because he felt embarrassed and he felt like he let him down. And we learn another lesson here about the reckless son and that's this, that life away from God catch this, when you drift from God, it doesn't change God's view of you. It changes your view of God. See, the father came running out and he didn't say, as I mentioned, he didn't say, shame on you. He didn't say, I want my money back. He didn't say, you know what? You will be like a staff person until you can earn it back. He didn't say that. He hugged him. He embraced him, he kissed him even. In the first century, that would have been really resembling huge emotional love. So it's incredible what we see here in this story that I think Jesus is trying to set these Pharisees and scribes and tax collectors and and sinners, they call them there. And so he's trying to set them up so that they understand. And I think for us, we need to understand the heart of a heavenly father because it's gonna play off and it should inform those of us that are dads. Dads, it should inform you. As you live your life. Well, then it goes on, and here's what happens. He's there with his father, and so as he rose, he went to his father, and he talks to him. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, or staff, "Be quickly, uh, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. This guy didn't even have shoes put shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate for my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. And we learned the big principle here about reckless sons or daughters and that's this, the father's heart is always open. Always. Some of you are like, well, I, you don't know my story. Always open. And you're like, you don't understand how many people I've heard. Always open. To the reckless son. What a great story. And then the story shifts to the older son, who's the religious son, the guy who's done everything right, which is me, by the way. I have fallen into this trap where, you know, if I just do everything right, that somehow God will love me more and I should have more. And that's not true. But that's who I was. I I fell into some traps, and I'm going to show you and tell you where they are because the stories right here is, is, uh, it's me. It's my story. It's amazing when you start reading it. So we're going to talk about the religious son now, the one who thought that he could just sort of obligate God or obligate the Father based on his own actions. It's amazing. So here it is, verse 25. Now, story shifts, his older son was in the field, And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants, the staff, and asked, What do these things mean? And he said to them, Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. He refused to join the party. He refused to even acknowledge that his brother came home. And isn't that so true? of religious sons and daughters because of this principle right here, and it's a pretty bad one really, and that's this, that entitlement always ruins, ruins a son's heart. It always does. When you feel like you're entitled to something from God, it'll ruin your heart. And I've had to come to realize, in fact, let me go back 22 years, can I? 22 years ago, when for three years or more, we were looking for answers for our son and I still remember being in, the, you know, in that living room with my wife and we would pray all the time, God help us. We don't know where we're going. We have no idea. And, and I still remember the feeling that I had and I'm embarrassed to tell you, listen in carefully. I thought, you know what? I'm a pastor. I'm serving your church. I'm serving this church that somehow in that God was obligated to do the right things in my life. That somehow, because I was doing the right things, that I could almost manipulate God's response. That God owed me. In fact, I've said this once before. I lived with this sense, bears to tell you, that there was a contract. And the contract went something like this. I do the right things, and you take care of me. And you broke the contract. Until I was there with my wife in the living room, and this is what God said to me. He literally said this quietly to my mind and my heart, and I shared it with my wife, actually, that he said, you know, David, I can trust no one else with that pain but you. Really? really? Me? I can trust no one else with that situation and with that son, no one else I can trust but you. Followed up by... And I'll be there giving you the strength that you need, which is what he already said. It's amazing because I was entitled. I was feeling like, well, wait a minute, this doesn't work. Do you know that being a pastor, I'm no better than if you're a teacher or a doctor or a custodian or a businessman or woman or an accountant or a pilot or a lawyer. Okay, I may be better than a lawyer. (laughs) Just kidding. I've got some lawyer friends. (laughs) I'm no better than anybody else. God has called me to do this, just like he's called you to do what you're doing. And in what you do and in what I do, because God has called us to whatever that might be in your life, be careful that we don't become religious sons who are entitled, because it ruins your heart. It ruins your heart. The story goes on. And so verse 28, his father, listen to this, the father came out and entreated him. In other words, came out to really let him know, to affirm him and talk to him and you know, love him. He came outside. He was in the party and he came outside. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Sound familiar? Yet you never gave me a young goat even that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours comes who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. And we learn another really important lesson that I had to learn 22 years ago in a really tough way, and that's this, that um, you can live in the father's house and not know the father's heart. It's possible for you and I to go through our lives and really do all the right things and really not understand God's heart, that God's heart is that he'll love you no matter what and he wants you to do one thing. What's that one thing? I'll tell you at the end. Because the stories are leading up to this. Both the reckless son and the religious son are leading up to this one thing in life. And so here it is. The father comes outside because the father loves the son. He wants to do the same thing with the reckless son. Comes out and begins to talk with him. No doubt said, you're just as important. I love you. Um, even if you've been around and even if you've done all the right things, I love you. And I want you to know that. And so in this story, it goes on. And we see in verse 32. Verse 31, and so he said to him, that's the father, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. This is so important. This one verse, as I began to read it years and years ago, was the game changer for me because I was the religious son. Um, In this story, I was the religious son. So this was a game changer. And here's the thing that we learn from the religious son. That's this. There's only one way you get to the party. There's only one way you get invited to the party, and that's knowing that you didn't earn your way there. He wants you there. God wants you there. He wants you to be part of it, not because you were good, um, not because you you did all the right things. Now, make sure you hear me. If you do the right things, there are less consequences. Am I right? There are less consequences, but that doesn't mean you get God's attention more it just means there are less consequences and be careful because you might become entitled and because you might lose track of the fact that you could live in the father's house but not really know the father's heart and so there's only one way to get to the party and that's to know that God wants you there and so the son comes in we see in verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate and to be glad. This is your brother who was dead and is now alive. He was lost and now is found. And we learn the same thing about the reckless son, about the religious son, and that's this, that the father's heart is always open even to the religious son. Even for those of you that are recognized that you've tried to do all the right things and and you've seemed to want to obligate God or manipulate God and God's arms are just open for you, just like the reckless son, he's there. You see, the sons, both of them, they missed the heart of God, but they missed it differently. Watch this. The whole story leads up to this. Both sons missed the heart of God. See, the reckless son, the reckless son thought he didn't need the father. I can do it my way. My way is probably better. Uh, It's more fun. Um, The reckless son thought he didn't need the father. The religious son, on the other hand, thought the father didn't need him. And it turns out the father doesn't need him, but he wants him. He wants to be in relationship with us. It's so important to catch that in this story here. One didn't need the father. One thought the father didn't need him. And yet when you live your life in such a way where you have an intimate relationship with the father, the heavenly father, it plays into fatherhood. It plays into motherhood. It plays into being a good uncle. It plays into being a good single. It plays into being a good high school student, college student, wherever you're at, whatever station of life you're in. See, the father... The father's heart is gracious and compassionate and forgiving toward all his children. But he asked us to do one thing. You ready for the one thing? Here it is. Repentance. Repentance. The reckless son came repentant and said, I don't even deserve to be your son. And the older son, I think it's implied in the story, the older son realized, wow, I was entitled and... I thought I deserved it and I thought he needed me. And so he came repentant. Repentance is the game changer for you and I to be able to really understand the father's heart, which will play in and actually maybe even heal a father's wound that you have in your life. Let's try that. Would you just bow your heads with me for a second? Would you just give this moment, this sacred moment for you to just speak to God quietly, Silently, and just perhaps repent to him. God, I, I didn't want this in my life. I'm so sorry. I desire for you to be my father. Whatever it might be, repent today that this week you might experience the intimacy of a heavenly father. Father, we come to you today. This is a story that's so familiar. And I pray that you would teach us, teach me, something new today. Lord, we come in repentance. Hear our prayer. Lord, sometimes it's hard to even believe that you love us so genuinely, unconditionally. And yet when we come in confession, there's freedom that happens in our life. Repentance brings so much reality to this relationship that you desire for us to have as our Father. We thank you, Lord, for that imagery and for the reality of that in our lives. Thank you for this story. Thank you that Jesus told it. Thank you that we can learn from it, whether we're reckless or religious. Lord, we desire to be followers, disciples of yours. Help us to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen.